to the Go Within podcast. My name is Yasmin. I'm the founder of Sanya and I am so happy to be back podcasting. I actually had a very deep inspiration in the month of January to podcast more and bring you more of these juicy conversations about the inner world. But sadly, my podcast room needed some serious renovations. So I was um, having to be very patient whilst plastering and carpeting and so on was done. But the good news is the room is ready to receive guests. And this first one was actually one of the conversations I've most enjoyed on this podcast. So I'm really excited to share this with you all. This conversation came about through a friend of mine, Alex, who has been a, a guest on this podcast. And when I when I reached out to her for suggestions of guests for this coming year, she just said, you have to meet Jen. She's awesome. And that was pretty much all she told me. And Alex is one of my real trusted soul family. So that was all I needed to know. And I invited Jen for this chat. And uh, funnily enough, Jen actually just heard the same thing from Alex, like you have to chat to Yaz and she went on Alex's uh, advice. So um, yeah, we both have a lot of love and respect for the beautiful Alex. Check out her podcast episode with some really beautiful revelations about our relationship to money in that particular one. So anyway, I just want to introduce you all to Jen today, Jen Stevie. She's a team trainer and a leadership coach uh, with more than 20 years of global work experience so she's worked really in in lots of different continents um in a lot of different kinds of industries from government to corporate and so on um her background is is in psychology and she's done like team trainings and executive coaching and then kind of brought the best of all of those into her system now which is called fun focus fortune her special skill is helping people master their mind, create innovation, and become productive in record time. She teaches future work skills and hosts retreats intensive for business teams. So as you can probably guess, we had a lot in common to talk about. We actually went quite deep into the relationship between our corporate lives and our inner worlds. She passed some remarks that are going to stick in my mind for a very long time because they were very beautiful and insightful. This conversation was also a bit special to me in another way. Um, this is one of, if not the first podcast that I'm recording. No, actually, that's not true. It's not the first, but it's one of the first few since I took up my new role as the CEO of Sherbin Software, which is my dad's software company. So to those listeners who don't know, <laughs> I am running two companies at the moment, my dad's software company, Sherbin, and obviously still Sanya. And it's been a really interesting journey for me to be experiencing these two very different business environments. And I share quite in depth in this podcast some of my experiences and some of my feelings about it. And I'm really happy to share this with you, the audience, because like you're my Sanya tribe. You guys have been listening to me share about myself and share my journey. And this has been a, a journey in my life that I really wanted to share with you all because when I first started thinking about taking this role, I was thinking like, how does this fit into me, Yasmin? And I actually share into the podcast like a bit in depth about this. And yeah, just what I want to say is like, I want to share this part of my life um, in my other role with my Sanya audience and, and share with you the similarities, the differences. I know a lot of people listening to this podcast 
have corporate jobs, some of them, it fits really well with their values, others of us struggle. So I think these conversations are really important about how the inner work and the work world go together because most of us spend a lot of time at work. So any tools and how we can make this more relevant to our lives, more productive for our personal growth. I think these are conversations that are super important. So I'm really glad to shine the light on some of my own experiences over the past few months. I think that's all I have to say. Um, as you guys know, lots of stuff always happening at Sanya. At the moment, I'm very inspired about the breath. I have a breath workshop coming up pretty much every couple of months. And at the end of April, we're going to be having a full full moon on new moon. I think it's new moon, cacao ceremony and breathwork sessions. That's going to be really, really special. So as always, we are here to support your inner journey. We, the Sanya team, are all on our own inner journeys and we just share what works for us with you and try to create a safe space so that you can explore your own self with support and like-minded souls to be there for you if you ever fall down, get lost, struggle, which... Hey, let's face it, it happens, we're human. But that's the beauty of community, that we are stronger together and that even though we might not be bonded by our race or our family, like the like-minded values that connect all of us listeners of the podcast, all of the community at Sanya, that actually is a bond that can sometimes run deeper than blood. So thank you all for listening. Thank you all for sharing. But most importantly, thank you for letting me know that you're listening. It actually really touches me when I know people are actually listening to this conversation. And it really motivates me to keep telling these stories more. So thank you again. And here's my conversation with Jen Stevie. So Jen, welcome to this podcast. Um, this is going to be the first podcast of its time of us two getting to know each other for the first time and bringing our listeners along the way with us, because usually all the people I've interviewed so far I've, I've known quite well. So this is going to be beautiful in its own way. Um, I have the feeling already that we have a lot in common and a lot of good subjects to jam about. So we'll see, we'll see where it takes us. Oh, thanks for having me. And yeah, I'm excited. We cannot um, have a second chance for the first impression, as they say. So let's just jump in and get to know each other like a first date. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> perfect, perfect. So as I told you, kind of the, the only thing I told you when, you when we walked in here is the podcast is called The Go Within Podcast. And I've been myself on a inner journey for the past 10 or 12 years. I keep saying 10 years every year. So I think it's about 12 by now. Um, and I feel like it's really nice to tell the stories because as much as we are surrounded by a lot of self-development books and talks and memes and posts, like the real story also of the struggles, the hardships, you know, the unglamorous side of it, the beautiful side of it. I think hearing, you know, especially other people locally who have walked this path that can get quite challenging at times is, is a beautiful gift to give each other. So um, that's my intention for today and for, and for this podcast, just to hear a bit about your own journey and we'll both learn through, through that chat. So like go within, like let's start there. So what does it mean to you? Have you been on an inner journey? Like what, what kind of sparks up for you? All right, how much time do we have? <laughs> We've got all the time in the world. <laughs> I think um, you touched on a very deep sub subject because everyone you meet or everyone I have met so far, when you take the time to really get to know them, we all have our own story. And especially the people who um, I work in the professional and personal development place. So that means that 
Yes, it usually starts with a course or a book or some self-help something. But the actual work is always done inside and it's not always pretty, you know. We call it sometimes the dark night of the soul or all these terminologies that are showing that it, it gets messy when you start that inner journey. And um, yeah, so the same goes for me when I started my my professional life. It was all about... <laughs> the books and the titles and the connections but then as I, I learned more and more about different especially mindset and neuroscience techniques and of course I started to then explore my my cognitive field a little bit more and that's when the journey began so it, I think the entry drug was meditation like for many people and uh, later on I explored uh, substances and different mindset techniques and tools to to just play and see what what the mind is capable of because I feel that if we humans would explore our heart and our mind and the connection between the two we could achieve so much more in, in connection with each other which um, makes us grow which is the point of self-help we don't have to, we have to help ourselves in the way I think it's a not so nice term it's more an uncovering a self Revealing. Playing. Yes, <laughs> yes, a reveal, an unlayering, an un, yeah, stripping down in a way. Yeah, well yeah. said. Beautiful. I mean, totally agree with the heart-mind connection. I'm, I'm sure we're going to dive into it in, in more depth. I'm just curious. So, like, was it... I find that the inner world, people get called to it for different reasons. Like, some people have a health crisis and they mm. want to get healthy. Some people feel really sad and they need to deal with it. Other people just get this urge to know themselves deeper. Like... Mm. Was it any of those three particularly or was there maybe something else that really kind of sparked that initial curiosity? That's a really interesting question because I never thought about what was the initial um, starting point or what was the trigger. But now that you're mentioning it, I had some of these things like uh, crazy health issues, um, divorce, cross-country or cross-transatlantic uh, moves, all these kind of things. But I've always been very stubborn. I had to always be the tough one in the family, the one who had to get stuff done and look out or watch out for the others. So the actual start in the whole meditation and uh, consciousness expansion, whatever you want to call it, a journey, that started around 2013 when I was in my um, studying towards coaching psychology. and. All this research on neuroscience about meditation changes your brain it's so powerful and i'm like oh it's powerful i want to know <laughs> so i started and actually that that was when it was hitting me i was sitting on the ground in my home office at that time all the study materials around me and tried to learn meditation so i had this app on my phone and it, it actually, I didn't even use the app for the guided meditations, just had a little timer in there. I set it to three minutes. <laughs> After about like 75 seconds, I looked at this phone and I thought I didn't set the timer. It must be three minutes by now. And then it shocked me. I'm like, wow, my brain cannot even focus for three minutes. <laughs> so this is how it started. It was not the, you know, the world turns to <clears throat> and then you have to do something. It was more about the wow, meditation is so powerful and I cannot even focus for three minutes. What kind of leader do I want to be? So that's that's what started this journey off. And yeah, do you want me to continue? 
I mean, just like I totally relate to a lot of the things that you're saying, funnily enough. Um, I also had that thing of like being strong and, and all of that in the in the childhood sphere. Um, and in a similar way, like I got into the self-development or whatever we're going to call it field from that place of realizing that actually there was this more human potential that I had access to that I wasn't taking advantage of. Like I, it's like I started shifting from like respecting people who had like material success or they were famous to suddenly like, it might sound really geeky, but looking at people like St. John or like St. Francis and being like, wow, like how do they have so much patience? Like that, that must be like a real inner skill. And I, I started just like naturally being more interested in the stories of those kind of people and in a similar way, then you, you stumble upon meditation because all roads lead to you should meditate. And that, that was my first um, thing into, you know, I want to learn more about this. So quite, quite a similar dynamic. Yeah. It's interesting. And because I was so fascinated by it, I'm like, why can I not do this? And it's so good for people. I must learn it. It took probably a year off trying out all these different things like apps, guided meditation, music, um, chanting, counting, all these things that you do to hopefully, you know, uncover that holy grail of, of cognitive, uh, you know, leadership in a way. And uh, yeah, it was about a year later of me trialing all these different meditation techniques and apps and nothing worked um, to... Uh, to add on to this in the whole coaching psychology training and study that I did, there's a lot about personality types and emotional intelligence tests. So I tried all these tests and, you know, explored a lot. And it said, I'm one of the most creative people on that spectrum. So here you go. You have a crazy creative brain that wants to do stuff, but it cannot focus. It cannot meditate. It cannot be still. still. Yes, yes. So about a year later, me trying all these different things, I went to a public lecture at a university. There was an interesting topic and there was a lady there and she was, it was the afternoon, but she kept yawning. And I just made a lovely comment, something like, hey, you know, early morning or something like this. And she said, no, I get up every day at four o'clock for my meditation. And I was like, my jaw was dropping. I thought, for me, it's such a fight. I tried since one year to learn this elusive tool and she gets up at four to meditate. <laughs> what sorcery is that? And uh, I say, what, what kind of meditation do you do? I've been trying. And she said, Vipassana. I'm not sure if you've heard of this, but um, for those listeners who have not heard the term, it's um, an intensive way of learning it. So you go for 10 days into a specific place where they teach you how to do it. And it's, uh, it's I call it a brain boot camp because you cannot do all these things that my creative brain loves to do. <laughs> You cannot look into people's eyes. You are not allowed to talk. You meditate for 10, 12 hours a day. You get up at four. No You're reading, no right? Books, no, no writing materials. Like it's the complete sensory deprivation. I mean, the next level would be darkness retreat, I would say. And that since that um, experience, I understood meditation. It changed my life as, as cheesy as that term sounds. But it has been on my side ever since. So I meditate every day. And I'm uh, not sure if I can, um, you know, be in the same box as Buddha Jesus and <laughs> Saint Francis, <laughs> who you just mentioned. But getting there. 
Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's like really uh, uh, it's kind of important what you mentioned because I think a lot of people try to meditate in daily life and. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I love retreats. Uh, we host retreats. I attend retreats. Mm-hmm. And I think it's especially at the beginning when, you know, to change a habit, you know, you're like fighting against this momentum of the habits of your daily life and kind of mm-hmm. pulling yourself out of that and immersing in a new yeah. experience is, is so life changing. I, I just love retreats. So uh, it's it's great to hear like that that was your experience. I think it's just nice to let people know, like, it's normal to struggle. I had the same experience of spending a whole year trying to meditate Um, and then one year later (laughs) I actually met a teacher and that obviously really helped me and then I had this meditation and I was like oh (laughs) like this is what I should have been feeling all of that other time that I was kind of struggling with my mind for that one year so it does take time and I think a lot of people give up and and I mean understandably uh, if um, you you can relate. It's it's exactly that what you're just saying. It's not um, somebody's fault if they cannot meditate, because it took me several days in those ten day in my first ten day retreat until my mind was was starting to unclog all these thoughts that were going on in the weeks or months before. So you're sitting there for one day, and all all that goes through your mind might be the stuff that you've done in that week leading up to this one day, and it's. I always say to people when they have not uh, when they try to have like a, an, an analogy to this, it's when you have a glass of water and you keep keep pouring water in that glass, you will never get to that bottom layer of water that's in it. And so in that ten day retreat, I always felt like I I am this water glass, or my mind is that glass full of water, and I'm able to actually sip away until I see the bottom of or until it's empty, and. It was life-changing in that way and you speak to the other people in the retreat once it's over and you you are out of that silence. And um, we all had similar experiences on day four, five, six, whatever. There were memories coming back to my mind that I... I mean, I'm turning 40 next year, so there was stuff there was stuff coming up that was 30 years ago, 35 years ago, and I'm like, wow, I remember this name from that guy in preschool. <laughs> you know, it's so so random, and it's um, humbling because you become aware of how I became aware. I should speak for myself. How what a huge potential my brain has if I was to give it time and if I was to allow it to to breathe in a way so again to those who are listening and are struggling with any meditation I'm not saying anyone uh, everyone should do vipassana everyone needs their own way for me that was working because I didn't have that distraction so anyone who is struggling at home it's normal your brain is going through those layers of water that you just kept pouring on any conversation every text message every news show or anything you've just watched will be stored in that mind everything you've just you know neighbor conversation it's there and you only realize how much you can actually save up in the brain when you give it time to sit and to let it come up to the surface again and so it's a major aha moment for me to sit there and let it's super powerful how you explained it actually I've, I've never thought about it from that way but um i can really relate to what you're saying and it's so true um, I very much in the early years of my journey, one of the first things I did was a, a two week similar to Vipassana, you know, you're doing strict practice. In this case, it was five hours a day. And I had the same thing, like I couldn't leave the meditation center. I had no like uh, internet, Wi-Fi, no stimulants, no chocolate, no, you know, 
all of that stuff. And I remember in the beginning, same like you shared, like the first few days, the mind is struggling with the silence. Um, but then you, you go through the few dark nights of the soul. Sometimes you fly, sometimes you're just drowning in all of these thoughts and, and so on. But what I really noticed was like on the hard days, my brain was fantasizing about all of the things I would do when I, when I was out, right? So it must be like how people in prison feel, right? When I was like, oh, I was in Bali at the time. So, you know, I had just arrived in Bali. Bali, you know, it's, it's like there's a lot to explore. There's a lot of like shiny things out there. And, you know, after being there a week, my teacher was like, okay, tomorrow you start five hours a day, two weeks. So my brain was like, oh, I want to go visit that cafe and I want to go visit that beach. I want to go there. So it was like, it was distracting itself from the now. And what was so interesting was that when I finished, I was like, okay, now I'm going to go and go travel and explore. And I remember like I got on this scooter with a friend of mine, we drove to Ubud, which is like the cultural center. And I was just looking at all of those things that I had fantasized about. And they just, they had no like attraction anymore. You know, it's like my brain had so got used to the stillness and the like happiness that comes from nothing, that the happiness from the food and the cafes and all of that, it was just like, ah, oh. it was, it was such a weird feeling. And it was the first time that I realized like our brain is such a malleable thing. And, and I'm sure you have a lot more to say about this than me, because you have like kind of explored neuroscience kind of on, on a deep level. Um, like that potential of the brain to see the world in a different way and see ourselves and feel different is just so huge. It's true. And it's so funny that you mentioned Bali. It's one of my favorite places in the world, but you <laughs> you literally um, killed the monkey mind in the monkey island. So it's so funny that you're like, I was in Bali and I tried to be still. I'm like, yep, she killed the monkey mind in the <laughs> monkey island. Um, yeah, so true. And especially now looking back at me coming out of this first vipassana experience and being you know having almost gotten a completely new perspective on the world like what you were saying before bali was ah oh, you know this cafe and that uh, volcano and this beach but then you come out and you're like yeah but i've got another bali in my mind now and i i can access it any time which gives you such an invincibility cloak such a superpower that you can tap into any time and I think maybe you felt the same, but it was for me definitely the case when I came out and I had this experience, this, oh, you know, I can do this and this is how it works. Then you need time to integrate that into normal, quote, normal life. Because um, before I was, as I said, starting in the coaching and psychology space and I never planned on having my own business again but it started clients came to me leadership and executive coaching clients and in this world um, back in the days I, I was on LinkedIn and these places and you had to have a cool CV and a fancy name or a good title and you had to show people here's the conference where I was speaking at or here's the thing that I the book that I had written you know these kind of things would count in that world and for me it was very hard to come out of this Oh, but did you actually know what your brain can do? And then turning around and running a conference in, in front of some suit-wearing CEOs and saying, and the newest, pro new, newest productivity gadgets are, you know, or this is how you get more done in less time. <laughs> it, it was a really hard time for me in the beginning to start to, yeah, absorb the lessons I had learned from this other more spiritual angle of the world as as it was presented to me and then integrating that into the professional world and now I feel 
especially we're recording this here in Malta and next week or the week after there's a, a plant medicine conference. So, and Malta has just legalized certain plants for consumption. However, they are being used, that's up to the user, but things are shifting, things are changing. And I think the marriage of business and, you know, the, the spiritual world is happening everywhere in so many different ways. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm it's funny because I was actually like, should I ask her about like the corporate world and spirituality? Or should I ask her more about emotional processing first? And then you went to the, you read my mind, you read my question. I think we're merging these things now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know, but I also have a position as the CEO of a software company. Okay. Um, no, I so <laughs> I tried to go into this so neutral, like. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably Not even some listeners mean. don't know because mm -hmm. it was quite a recent thing. Um, okay. I've been running Sanya for six years now. I've, I've always been an entrepreneur, always, but always in the wellness um, or like sustainability right. fields. Um, but my dad owns a software company that okay. he started 38 years ago. Um, and all throughout my life, I was never really interested in tech, not interested in software, not really interested in the corporate world. I had a lot of judgments towards the corporate world. Um, <clears throat> and recently my dad's um, retired and it's kind of funny how it happened because I actually connected him with uh, a consultant and I said, listen, you need, you need help to find your successor and you know, plan mm -hmm. for the next stage of the company because I was noticing he was getting a bit frustrated and he was overworking and... Like he needed that change. And I was like, I'll introduce you to this consultant who can help you figure it out. Um, and this consultant like came back to me like a, a week later. She was like, I told your dad that he should make you the CEO. Oh, <laughs> um, and it was really funny because my, my initial um, reaction was like, no, you know, it's not my thing. Um, but eventually um, I actually kind of changed a bit my way of seeing this. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny because from the beginning of my journey of starting a business, like before I started a business, I was very like anti-corporate. Yes. I was like, you know, I studied international development. I was mm. very passionate about like all the harm that corporations do around the world and so on. So I was very like rejectful. Mm. Um, and then I, I kind of came to this moment of like, well, if you want to make change, like the corporate world is, you know, where mm. most of our time goes, where all of our resources are. Mm. So that was kind of the realization that made me start my own business. Um, and it was kind of the same realization that brought me back into like more corporate life, right? Because Sanya is not really a corporate, corporate environment. Um, and it's been a really interesting journey for me because I'm at that stage in my life where I can walk into that environment and really be myself and really stand for the things that I believe in. Um, if I had done it maybe a few years ago, I probably would have molded myself to that environment instead of saying like, this is what I believe. This is the kind of company culture I want to create and I'm going to create it, <laughs> right? And, and, and hopefully bring the people along with me. Um, and I've very much approached it from exactly that, that point of view that you're saying that like the corporate world needs to change. Like the corporate world needs to become a lot more authentic. It's funny because we always say like the corporate world as though it's this thing that we can't change, but we are the corporate world. Like all of us people that complain about the corporate world being too corporate, we're the ones in there molding ourselves into this environment that we don't like and it's been a really interesting journey for me to just stand for that change in in my own way and, and also see how how the team responded I mean it's a company of more than 65 people so it has its own cultural momentum there are loads of different kinds of people some who love it some who are not ready for it and and so on so 
I'm very interested, you know, in this topic generally. So, yeah, like your your work with leaders and, and the corporate environment and bringing this in, I think is like we have so much to talk about. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting that you're just saying this because whenever I say it, not everyone gets it, but you just said this, the corporate is just um, a term. It's not some real entity. It's just a word that describes something that is actually just a bunch of people. And... There's a wonderful book if any listeners out there want to read on a more hopeful outlook into, you know, the future of spirituality meets business. Uh, it's by Joel Solomon, a Canadian um, investor and hedge fund manager. It's called The Clean Money Revolution. And it literally describes the, the precipice of time that we are in right now in our company, uh, in our um age that we are now there is this huge wealth transfer going on dad passes on company to daughter you know these kind of things happen all over the world and maybe not so much with the software company of your dad but some of these companies that are now being transferred to the the predecessors uh, successors that are they have been built on oil gas dirty industries you know all these things that we want to move into a, a greener future with now and we still have these old things um clunking up the system but now the people who are taking over are in our generation and they have seen that many systems are broken, many old ways of doing things do no longer work. People didn't know better back in the days. So I'm not saying this was bad and horrible. Yeah, we see now that it's not working and that's okay. You know, there's no need to get angry or anything about that. And um, again, back to this corporate is just a name. Whenever, that's why I, I moved on from leadership and executive coaching to now including the teams. There's no point just having the manager in front of me and doing a strategy workshop for the, for the company if the people don't know what Big Daddy's up to, you know, if they can't explain it or visualize um, and, and demonstrate to the team this is where we are going and why we should go there. But now by, by taking some of these people into the strategy workshops, I make them see we're all just a bunch of people who are all passionate about something. And if we are able to somehow manage to find common ground, it's like you're having all of a sudden 10 CEOs that all want the same. It's so powerful because you take exactly this. They all, these people in your companies and in other companies around the world, they're all going through their own growing and learning and dark nights of the soul. They just don't tell it to everyone at work. And so... Again, I think it's one of the most exciting times in history that we get to not only see the change that needs to happen, but we get to contribute to it. We get to take these people by the hand and say, well, what's your goal? What is your passion? Where is your skill set? What would you like to co-create with our company? And wow, you know, they stop quitting and they stop, you know, bad-mouthing the companies. No, they bring their friends along and they come with ideas that make you money or save you money. And it's like... It's just, yeah, a good place to be at the yeah. moment. <laughs> the world In is fact, getting, like, getting better. Sort of, it's it's obviously really beautiful that like we're transitioning to more like sustainability friendly practices and stuff. For sure. But I've always felt like there's also like the human element, you know, of like how does the corporate life or how does our work life actually contribute to our personal growth? Because sometimes. I think because the human is the messiest, it's like the, the one with the biggest gray area, it's the one that we don't really know how to deal with as much. So it's very easy actually to like get a company and make it greener, mm -hmm. do a sustainability audit, get rid of the bad chemicals, whatever, right? Obviously, depending on the industry, mm -hmm. the the challenges will, will be different. But 
I think we're still very much at the beginning of this idea of like how do we really get the most of the human beings within our organization and how do we make their work part of their spiritual growth like how how could they feel so supported as an individual and uh, I think that's something that I've been really interested to see like me taking that principle from a company of 10 people Mm. which is like Sanya which is very obviously all the people who work here are very open to self-development they got attracted to the company because they already have an interest Mm. and taking that into a company where there are some people who have been working there for over 20 years and now suddenly I've come in with a new culture and it's just been so beautiful to see how like it's so natural to us as humans to thrive when we're trusted and when actually we're listened to and actually this space for us to deal with all of the non-work related dynamics in the workplace and I find it so clear that like the emotional lives of the people within the workspace are actually the things that contribute most Mm. to their success or failure. Mm. Yet we support our staff with go and learn, you know, a sales course or go and learn this course. And we we empower them materially with information all the time. Yet we never even think to help them manage to process their emotions, for example. Mm. And I, uh, I think that is like really... And in fact, that's why I was interested in you saying sort of we need the time also to integrate because all of this work brings up a lot of emotion. And I I think if there's one skill I would say is most under-resourced on this planet, it it is that ability to process how we feel. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you have any like favorite ways or anything that comes to mind about your own journey with like tools that you've used to help you process how you feel. Um. Oh, uh, big topics. Let me just revert back to the the, the company topic for a minute because um, when when I was first, you know, starting out in the industry and I tried to explain to people what I was doing, then I would often make it very simple and I say I help people to find out what they want to do. Once they have figured that out, I help them how to get there. And so I would often get the response, so are you a life coach or a business coach? And then I would be like, so are you a life person or a business person? And that made them really think hard because at this time and the beginning, um, my industry was just this hard separation between life coaches and business coaches. And I said to these, my average client is, you know, 50 years old male. And they understood when I told them, I said, look, you always bring your whole self to work. If you had a fight last night with your wife or your child is sick, you are not going to be 100% business guy today. And that's what what resonated with them. And so leading on to, so again, this is what people need to understand. And it will be difficult for some of the people who have been working in a company for a very long time, where these kind of resources and support systems have never been offered. And they have never had uh, from their families or their upbringing any training into not even processing emotions, but A, just realizing what is going on. Because most people cannot express it. They don't have the vocabulary. We don't teach kids in school how to name uh, feelings, thoughts, emotions, and all these uh, things that are bubbling up that are hard to to verbalize. And then, um, yeah, so when you asked about have you got favorite tools to integrate or... Of course, I had to. I would have to say first thing is meditation. But again, if somebody has only you know five kids running around at home and not a quiet minute to really learn it, there is mindfulness techniques out there that you can do. Um, 
people are different when it comes to their senses. So I love music. I use um, sound healing or things like binaural beats, even in my workshop sessions, because for me, it can create a very quick way. So even for those people out there who who may not need to completely dive into solfeggio tunes or binaural beats or any of these kind of things that are out there, but even something simple as make your own playlist, your own Spotify or, or wherever you are, um, playlist for happy songs. Um, very often, it's really funny, if somebody is depressed, if somebody is anxious, if somebody is lacking in self-confidence, one of the best things you can do, statistically proven, <laughs> is um, make a playlist with those guilty pleasure songs from when you were a teenager or whenever life was carefree. So, you know, it might be the Spice Girls for you or something like Backstreet How Boys. did you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's literally like that. So make yourself a playlist from these songs that you would, you know, crank up in, in your children's or your, your teenager room when you were younger. Um, the stuff that makes you feel carefree and just happy. And it doesn't matter if it's an overplayed pop song or some electronic dance music or some or some hardcore grunge hip-hop whatever but that is a quick way to like the limbic brain to our like original old uh, deepest feelings uh, smell is the same there can be smells like you smell a certain thing and you're like oh that was my grandmother's hand cream i feel cared for soothed you know so smell and sound would be probably my quick fix for some people who don't want to just sit down and try to learn how to meditate for 10 days <laughs> yeah that's that's definitely one of the quick fixes i would share yeah i, w I would also add breath to that Yes. Um, I mean, it, it yep. kind of goes in hand with meditation. Um, I learn it, yes. Uh -huh. But yeah, I've found like, uh, um, I think maybe my Sanya audience is getting a bit sick of hearing me talking about the breath because right. <laughs> I'm always going on about it. But it, it's just like something so easy, you know, because it's it's there, you know, like if you don't have your phone, if you don't have music, yeah. if you don't have s smell, like True. your breath is always there with you and you're breathing. It's just breathing you and you're not realizing, right? And like... Uh, you know, 20,000 breaths a day that we take, like even if we just take five of those breaths or 10 of those breaths, we can actually change the state of our nervous system just like that. Um, and I find it's also easier to learn for people who are not able to focus that well, because it, yeah. it kind of leads you to meditation naturally. Like if you get good at breathing deeper, you'll end up learning how to meditate better. Um, but yeah, I don't want to divert too much onto that, but it's just something that has been really present with me. And um, yeah, it's something I've been practicing for many, many years that has really brought a lot of change. Yeah, it's a great uh, point because um, I, so again, the people I used to work with were like 50 years old male. They usually have teenage children or a little bit younger. And so when I'm thinking about the rise of anxiety, stress and all that in the younger generation, what you just mentioned with breathwork techniques is so helpful for them. They might not be able to just, you know, as I said, grab that that playlist or an uh, essential oil to have a little sniff in between stressful yeah. exams. But yeah, even I, I heard uh, straw breathing. If you just take a straw and breathe in and out, yes, you might not always have it available, but I'm sure the cafe next door will. Yeah. But so, the straw yeah. breathing is just mm. about slowing down the breath. Mm. So you can actually do the same thing by just counting, like mm. breathing, count to five, breathe out, count yeah, to five. Yeah, and in fact, you know, kids really struggle with meditation because they're they're not at that age where they're supposed to be still. Um, so breathing, like teaching kids how to slow the breath and actually even to breathe, like we we don't realize how often we're holding our breath, mm. like just 
randomly, you know, you can even start to notice it even in meetings, like in the workspace that you will, uh, uh, you know, hard subject will come. You just see people just like tensing up and really closing off the breath. And um, it's also just a really beautiful thing to teach ourselves how to keep breathing when we're stressed, because it, it kind of creates that response of the nervous system that just because something hurts or it's uncomfortable, it doesn't mean that I need to close. Mm-hmm. I can actually like open myself through taking a, a deeper inhale. So um, in fact, you you were saying about that lady who was yawning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, yawning is like one of the most powerful breathing techniques. Mm-hmm. It's it's beautiful how the body knows what it needs to do to, to relax the, the nervous system. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, you get more oxygen by yawning, isn't it? Like that, how that's how it works. Yeah, you're you're lengthening the the inhale, mm-hmm. um, and also you're like usually when you yawn, it's like kind of like the sigh of relief, you know, where you're just like, <sighs> like that's actually scientifically proven to be the most powerful breathwork technique is actually the sigh of relief. Oh, right. Yeah. <sighs> yes, yeah, so we take a, a conscious little. <sighs> <sighs> and what's interesting so about the sigh of relief is actually defined by the inhale, not the exhale. So what defines mm-hmm. a sigh of relief is actually that it's the inhale is double the length, and then obviously it's a sort of letting go of the exhale, yeah. which then comes kind of more more powerfully. It's quite interesting. Yeah, and I mean breathwork. I don't know what it's like for you or the people who are listening, but what in my world came uh, a lot now is Wim Hof breathing. It seems to be a very popular or um, yeah, well-known technique. But when I did my yoga teacher training, I learned about pranayama or the breathing techniques that uh, belong to the the ancient yogic practices and. That really blew my mind because, yeah, Wim Hof did a great job in today's world to promote this kind of technique, but it's not him that invented that. It's been many different techniques similar to his method, which works, I'm not discounting it, uh, that have been used since many, many years for different ways. You can, you know, do a breathing technique to get more alert or more calm or more creative. and. When I learned that, I was like, whoa, I had no idea. It's so powerful. And you can, depending on how how fine-tuned your senses are, how sensitive you become to your own body, whether it's the breathing or the, the energy fields. I, uh, when I did Reiki training, it was also you, you perceive different things in different ways. And the, the pranayama, when you do them, you're like, wow, I didn't know my body can feel that. So you, you almost get like a completely new picture of, of what you can do, similar to what I had with this meditation experience. Yeah, I think it's so powerful. And I think one of the reasons why it is so powerful is because we're so disconnected from how we feel, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't know about you, but I was very disconnected from my feelings when I was younger. I had that mentality that we were talking about of like, be strong. What does be strong mean? It means suppress the weakness, right? Like suppress that feeling of like, I can't handle it or I need to cry or like, this is too much for me. Mm. You just suck it up and you keep moving. And that kind of creates that pattern. And that pattern then just gets more and more fueled. I mean, then you start drinking. Alcohol is great for numbing how you feel. I transitioned into smoking marijuana, which was even better for numbing how I feel. And... I had to get to the point where I was like, I had to realize like, whoa, I'm actually really numb. And I had to undo it, which for the beginning is quite painful. (laughs) Um, But then, you know, and I think again, like going back to the breath, it's so beautiful because you can't breathe deeply and not feel. Mm, that's so like, true. It's that simple. Yes. Like you just can't. You can't hide. You can't run away from a deep breath. Yeah. Um, so 
if you train yourself to breathe deeper, you will feel more. And sometimes you need like support to deal with how those feelings come out and how we're going to deal with them. But yeah, I think it's it's a it's a beautiful way to kind of re retrain ourselves into that. And going back to the corporate world, you know, I love what you said about you know, are you a life coach or a business coach? And it's it's so true and so beautiful, and and, and I really believe it. But we do have this very persistent belief that you know work-life boundaries, like don't bring your shit into the workplace, don't bring work into home. Like we do have a lot of these beliefs and these phrases that kind of encourage us to suppress certain feelings, right? So if you're at work and you're depressed because you're having relationship issues, then that's not okay, yeah. right? And if you go home and you're upset about work and you're gonna speak to your partner, oh, that's not okay. Mm. And we're just like perpetuating this thing of like how you feel is not okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. You, Gosh, my brain is now like <laughs> so many tangents we could get off on. Um, yes, yes. I mean, there are people who have an issue. For example, some companies try to create a really nice culture and often they say, well, our team is like a family. And then, yeah, there's people in the team who say, oh, you know, vomit emoji. Because it's when you when you are like yourself authentic you know like the way you are with your partner or your family you may show a face of yours that is not professional that is a bit more demanding or a bit more difficult or a bit more whatever and it can make working together difficult so some people have now an issue when companies go too much into this we're all a happy family and so we have to be very gentle and very skilled in how we navigate that so that we can still keep everyone happy which is you know this elusive thing it's really funny that you mentioned this because we have a bit of a joke at, at yeah. our software company about this because we have this right like we're a family thing and when I first went in there I was like okay it's it's great that we're a family mm -hmm. but actually if we look at the dynamics of most families they're highly dysfunctional <laughs> so we're we're kind of like a dysfunctional family which is fine but like let's look at where we're dysfunctional and try and fix it because I think if we look at the family dynamic in general like we haven't been supported in how to communicate authentically within relationship. We we hide a lot of our true self in relationships mm. with partners, with close friends, with family and so on. Yeah. And I think for me, it's it's about that. Like, can we bring authenticity into the workplace? Authenticity doesn't mean that you're having a breakdown every day, exactly. right? Like that's not even authenticity, right? Because authenticity is what's behind the breakdown. Yeah. Um, so I think it's not so much about like how emotional are we, but like how real are we being about the things that we're facing and, and our motivations as well for doing the things that we do. But it's very, very hard to s kind of create that trust when it's not what people have been used to, right? Like they're not used to being authentic at work mm -hmm. and being rewarded for it. Usually we're either shut down or kind of ridiculed or deemed unprofessional and, and so on. So... It's, a, it's a, a matter of, like, trust is a, is a big topic. Trust is one of the biggest uh, things that a manager can do to really see success in the company, but also in the, in the cohesion between people and in the team. 
But it's like with children, if you teach them the right and healthy boundaries, then it's good. It's for example, many of the teams that I'm working with now, and it becomes more and more is remote or decentralized work or work from home part of the week. So then you have the system that we have a Slack channel or we have this kind of place where we all communicate, but it's usually text-based. So then you have this one person who's like, just because there's a Slack channel, just because somebody seems to be online, well, they have to respond to my nagging question in the next five seconds. Otherwise, I feel like I'm not looked after, you know? And so if you have people like this, then there is uh, really everyone in the company is required to establish what is our standard here. Does this mean you can just ask everyone a nag, you know, or does it mean you have to maybe do your own Googling and then say what you already would try and then maybe wait another two hours because somebody might be in a meeting or look after their child at home and so on. So it really requires people to learn that kind of emotional intelligence even though these tools are not as personal if you have everyone in an office you see if you if your colleague is busy and has headphones on and is buried into something that they need to write for example you wouldn't go over there tap them on the shoulder rip the headphones off and say talk to me i have a question so again it's that emotional intelligence it's what you said earlier about managing our own inner world our own How should I show up at work? What do I need to deliver here? How do I come across? Um, am I constructive here or am I just interrupting? These are all things that were already difficult in the face-to-face -face work environment, but it has become more complex now with the online world. And the other thing you talked about, the, um, the cultures, there are many people where we have now, whatever, a guy from Japan works with a girl from Mexico. And they both meet online in the companies in Norway, you know. So then we have all these different cultures. And some some people were never brought up with um, I love you or well done or this is what we expect you to do. So the, the clear communication of how shall we work together? What does a good job look like? What does a done project look like? How can you expect, how, like how quickly can you expect your colleague to come back? Like all these things they add an additional layer of complexity to this already messed up world of how authentic can I show up at my workplace? You know? I think so also, like, if I can just training. grab mm. onto that mm. example as well, like, when when that person is, you know, nagging people to get back to his messages and not feeling like he's being seen or heard, I think also, like, as a community, a business community, we haven't been very good at giving the communication to that person that, like, If you feel like you're not being seen or heard, you have work to do, mm. right? Like, because we can easily just like make standards that kind of mediate, but at the same time, and, and that's needed 100%. Um, but at the same time, I think also like as leaders and as managers, we need to be a bit braver in seeing how a work issue is a personal growth issue. Mm. And if that person is feeling like that way, like in most companies, they would just say, oh, that guy, he's like that, you know, like, yeah. oh, just ignore him or just get angry at him when you get Doesn't annoyed. situation. <laughs> Instead of like someone actually taking the time to understand why that person feels like that and support them to be able to change that. Because mm. if they're feeling it in the workplace, they're probably feeling it everywhere. Sure. Right. Like they're probably feeling like that with their partner or with their mm. friends or, or whoever. And I think that's like really the like special juice, you know, yeah. in the corporate world that we're missing, which can really help our personal growth. And as much as it's hard as a manager to go over to that person and say, hey, like 
I know you're trying to blame the others for not replying to your message, but can we sit and maybe um, ponder on the question of like, maybe this mm. feeling is not coming from their action, but it's coming from you. And can I support mm. you to help you move through that? Yeah. And I think as much as it's hard as a leader to do that, like the bond and the connection that comes when you offer that kind of support to people is so magical. Like so it just, it's mm. almost like the most beautiful gift we can give each other. Yet it's so hard because to be authentic, not just about how you feel, but actually giving people that kind of constructive mirroring to yeah. be able to help them grow. Um, it's very difficult because people don't always respond well. You know, sometimes they say like, screw you, mm. like I'm fine <laughs> kind of thing. But I, I'm very interested in like, how can we increase the competency of leaders that they can actually offer that transformational style mm. because I feel like then we get the most out of the incidents at work because we're growing from them and it creates such a bond and such a trust mm. that then the workplace becomes a very safe place. This is so important. I mean, first of all, as a leader, I want to say you don't always know that this is happening. So the first thing again is awareness. Do you know that person A acts this way? Then the second point Does it always have to be you as a leader who does this? Hey, dude, we need to talk. <laughs> and um, and then number three is, you know, how do you approach that? Most leaders that I have worked with have never been trained in any kind of psychology, in any kind of human behavior. So, of course, how do they know? They wouldn't know. Um, and so this is why again it's important to include the team can and it goes back to trust does your team have the trust from you as a leader to also jump in and say hey dude the way you worded that didn't make me excited to get back to you or this was unclear how should i reply it's, sometimes it's most of the times it's very simple stuff um, but if the team doesn't have the clear go ahead or the trust to also step in and communicate clearly, this is how we do work here, or this is how I expect you to contribute to this project, then it's it's not happening. And then it usually has has this um, bad effect of a bottleneck leadership team where then everyone just kind of steams quietly away in meetings like, mm, I need to talk to Yasmin about this because that guy. <laughs> so that's, that's the whole like framework that comes to my mind around yeah all these issues have to be ticked first before a clear and constructive cultural change can happen for the better and uh, yeah again back to what i said earlier i'm all for including the team now of course you cannot have thousand people in a in a team training and say you know let's let's have a strategy meeting for the company because then you can just start creating thousand new companies but still having a clear What are we doing? Why are we doing this? And which kind of language or flavor do we want to be seen from the outside? It's all basic stuff, but it's often not done in the beginning or at changes and challenges like we had now with the pandemic. So many companies had to rethink how we do stuff, whether it's the physical work environment or the actual, you know, the tools, the technology they use. So I think there are many little building sites where we can start looking at whether it's teaching the leaders how to be more emotionally aware of their own world then including the team and then how do they do measures to prevent those things from happening in the future by by clear and directive leadership yeah yeah I, i think what you said is super beautiful like i mean obviously that structure needs to give the safety for people to feel like this is not something that's just 
happening in a sporadic way or in a top-down way, but actually is empowering everyone. And I think it's it's quite interesting because like we are moving more towards that kind of understanding where like we're a bit less hierarchical in our approach. And I think that's really beautiful. I, I, I've always been fascinated by the subject of hierarchy in general because I think hierarchy is needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I came across this term which really inspired me called holarchy. Which is basically like uh, you can guess from the name, like democracy. You mean probably or teal the concept? Yeah, it it comes actually from the writing of Ken Wilber, which uh, who kind of started that approach of the the teal business, teal development stage, Um, and that idea of like hierarchy not coming from a dominant strategy, but actually coming from wholeness. Mm. And in that sense, then the whole arc is not, okay, you're the boss or whatever, but actually anyone can be that representative of wholeness in any, mm. right? It might be someone from the team coming up to the CEO and saying, hey, you're looking a bit misaligned today. Like, is everything okay? Like, maybe you should have a cup of tea before your next meeting because you're not looking um, like you're in the right state of mind or whatever it may be, right? Like that leadership not coming from the hierarchical structure, but actually coming from the heart of like, I am in the right space to look out for the good of all. Mm. And, and I'm also empowered by the management structure to be able to act in that way, mm. to kind of elevate um, any discussion that I'm that I'm having. Yeah. Um, so it's quite interesting to see how those, you know, two concepts fit together, because obviously all companies have a certain amount of structure and a certain amount of hierarchy and yeah. porting lines and so on. But at the same time, we're also kind of bringing in this new way of thinking, which actually kind of approaches authority in a, in a bit of a different and more heart-centered way, I feel, which is which yeah. is very beautiful. I mean, there are companies that have jumped aboard these these newish ways or, or decentralized hierarchical model or less hierarchical models. Sweden as a country comes to mind as like a, the forerunner for these kind of models. But I think it was Tony Shea from Zappos who started a few years ago to have a more holacracy, they called it, or teal based um, where we're more power or authority would have been given to the smaller groups or team clusters. However, I'm not sure how the long-term results look like. Um, there's Again, it's, it really needs to be set up really well so that everyone knows what they can do, what they should do. Otherwise, if you take the complete power away, I, I say to people, because when I study creativity and, and how do people act in the flow state and how can they be more creative and what makes it so that somebody has better ideas than others, um, I came across this funny thing. They say limits or limitation breeds creativity. And it's true. If I give you a blank sheet of paper and say, just draw anything, you're like, mm, I could go in any direction. So you almost freeze because there's too many options available. But when you say to somebody, draw something that has a triangular shape and it has arms and it has some fluffiness, well, then you create something in your mind right now. And again, limitation breeds creativity. So if we say a TED talk has to be 20 minutes long and it has to have this kind of structure, everybody knows now what a TED talk looks like. So with these companies that are very decentralized in their hierarchy, it could probably, you know, like could go very wrong or the worst nightmare. And yeah. again, it, it depends on the people who steer the whole ship. If the leaders have not done the hard work of that inner journey that we, we started talking about, They don't know where they're taking their people. They cannot even empathize if somebody in their team goes through something major. 
So I'm not saying please take all the broken and reawaken people and put them at the top of a leadership, but it really helps when a company leader goes, you know, as an example forward. And I mean, that's what a leader does. You know, they take a machete and make a way. So nobody has gone that way before and it takes time. And you're the one who gets all the scratches on your arms because you're going through the thorns and the bushes and the bumpy roads. So... Yeah, I think that's back to the beginning when we talked about like Buddha, Jesus and the popes. So often it's the people who are the gentlest, sweetest, kindest, most understanding ones that have seen the worst. And that made them become like that. Not saying, again, everyone has to go through some (laughs) trauma to be a good person, but you get the the gist of what I'm trying to say. I don't know if you've read the book Reinventing Organizations. That's the teal one that I mean. Yes, exactly. Just like for our listeners, because we're mentioning teal, and maybe some people don't know what what it is. Do do you want to explain it? Yeah. I don't know if I'll do a good job because it's been a while, but basically like um, the, the teal state of organization, it comes from this idea that actually we have phases of development. So we go like every baby starts at like a very egocentric level of consciousness and then they grow, we become achievement oriented and then we become more pluralistic and so on. Um, and the teal stage, um, is, is the teal applied just to business or is it to human? I think it's to humans as well. I think it's just a general development stage and then businesses can, can fit into that if I remember correctly. Um, so basically like the idea of like organizations with which are teal are at like a more enlightened stage of development than companies that would be either just materialistic or even pluralistic like they have a bit more of a like holistic approach in in the way they do things and um, in fact one of the interesting things kind of picking up on what you were saying there were some of the examples in that book where companies really went very decentralized and you were right to point out like long term, we don't know if it worked, but I think short term, like there are people who just are ready to thrive in that structure, but because they haven't been given it, we would never know. And we so have this history of like corporations not trusting people going as we go down the food chain. Um, that we're just kind of like replicating that system Mm. unconsciously, like we're just creating workplaces that don't have that trust. And it was interesting for me to see like, oh, let's bring in like a really non-hierarchical structure and actually see, well, a lot of people will stand up and really flourish in that. Mm -hmm. Sure, you'll get people who are not ready. Because again, if you personally are still in a very narcissistic level of consciousness, you're not going to take that power and use it well, right? Like history is littered with characters who abuse their power because they weren't at a level of consciousness where they could actually wield that power in a humble and responsible way. Um, but I think we're so on the other scale of it, right? That we're just like, no, no one's ready to trust. Like, let's just keep them, you know, in this real straight jacket. And I think finding that middle ground again is very hard. And this is why, you know, a lot of companies, even though they aspire to be more holistic and less hierarchical and so on like when the rubber hits the road you know it's really not that easy to actually navigate your way through all of the challenges mainly human challenges that Mm. that come in the way i think you you touched on an interesting point that's very um, important to consider and it's that do i have an existing company that i'm trying to change or do i start something new with people who are already keen on let's do it in this way 
you know, so my background when I first started my, my career, I worked for about 10 years in the government, in the German government. So we're talking bureaucracy and you need a piece of paper for everything and five levels of management to just, you know, open the toilet door kind of. And then I, I, I moved on to work for corporates, small and large corporates. And then I started the whole coaching thing and it led me also to work with startups. And that's a completely different board game to the ball game to or board game, whatever. And the government would be more the board game. Um, to the government way of living and so when you just said before that with Sanya you know your 10 people here they know what you stand for what your background is what, what you feel drawn to what your values are and then your father's company technology some people have worked there for longer than we've been alive you know so then it's a completely different thing to say hey you software people let's try decentralized work and see how it goes because again that initial fear comes up in a person what does that mean to me and my job if somebody has been with a company for a long time they might just like a reflex go back to holding on clinging you know for dear life to what they know to what they are known for to what they know they are appreciated and valued for so taking that fear away from a person is a big task because it is deeply rooted in some insecurities or some past experiences like no tell me my job and i'm coming here from this time to this time and that's it and but if you had started let's say you take your sanya team here and said hey what about we did some software for ecospas for example everybody would probably have a good idea of what this company would look like because they know what you stand for as a leader and then you would just put your heads together and decide on the hows about you know which tools and how we how we're going to do this and um, yeah again but taking something like a government or a large or long existing company that has never heard about these tools and these ways of doing business Good luck. <laughs> I have to say, like, I've been very pleasantly surprised. And one of the first things I did um, when I was appointed was um, reduce the hierarchy. So we had a, a management team of five people and we expanded it to a team of 13 people. So people who are on the team of five were now part of a, a team of 13. So you could say, like, there's less status, less, less power, right? Um, and I have to say, like, everyone really responded very well to that. And I think... Um, it's really beautiful to see that actually when you create that safety and you create that clarity on like strategy, why we're doing the things we do, people really actually feel inspired and, and can use that trust in a good way. Maybe I was lucky that, you know, my dad had a history of, you know, really hiring lovely souls. Um, but yeah, I, I also like challenged them quite a bit and we did a lot of leadership training and, and we actually got our management team here to Sanya and got them doing like exercises, eye gazing, for example, and doing um, sharing circles together. So, you know, this was taking people who have really worked with this company for a long time. They've never stopped and been asked to just look into their colleagues' eyes and hold eye contact, mm -hmm. right? So it was something completely out of their comfort zone. And um, I must confess, like before we did it, I actually did this in collaboration with Alex. So like shout out to Alex, who's actually the friend that connected us. Um, we did this together and I was slightly apprehensive before. I was like, okay, you know, how is this going to go? Um, and it was just so beautiful to see, like, yeah, it was uncomfortable for them. Um, and one of, one of our team was telling me this video, he was like, it was hard. He was like, but I want to do it again. Yeah. And that's really, really beautiful because they really see the value of it, of like actually being 
pushed out of your comfort zone on a work level and being asked to just like emotionally engage with your colleagues. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm lucky that I happen to have a team that were very open to this. But again, I think when you make people feel safe, you will be pleasantly surprised. Absolutely. And if you're on their team and you're on their side, um, I think there's so much potential untapped that because we're just too scared to try, you know, because it is uncomfortable. Like I remember walking into that session and thinking like, why am I putting myself through this stressful thing? Like, I didn't need to do this. Like I could have just carried on. Things were going fine. Like I didn't need to like risk bringing all these people into Sanya's space and maybe think, oh, the CEO, she's so much of a hippie or like, why are we doing this? There's nothing to do with software, you know? So and I put myself in that slightly uncomfortable situation where I was like taking a risk. I was also like feeling slightly stressed about the fact that this might not go how I wanted it to go. Mm. So it's very easy to like take that emotional pressure and be like, nah, I, I don't need to do this, right? Mm. Um, and I'm just sharing this because I think like we do need to be braver in the workspace in general mm. in like showing trust, but in also like bringing the personal growth into the workspace more and and saying that it's okay to do this kind of work even as as a work team. Yeah, you know, it's so funny that it's actually software. We should be more soft in the software space. Yeah. <laughs> I always joke that like yeah. I had a very different opinion of software from the outside. Like I thought it was a very robotic kind of work you know I didn't see it as a very human thing I thought you know this is really geeky you know behind the software screen and I was telling our head of technology the other day I was like software is possibly one of the most human businesses because it's such a creative like it's writing code is all about yeah. solving problems and usually with other people so our developers are actually like very emotionally aware they're very connected they're, they're really good communicators actually mm. um so we have this you know mentality that oh software is like this but actually i think it's one of the businesses where like actually getting the team to be more emotionally in sync with each other is actually like of really high value to the actual mm. work outcomes that, that the team will be providing. So that, that was a real educational yeah. experience for me. Yeah, I love the technology space. I worked with so many company leaders. And again, as I said, the startups or the hackathon space where you get such beautiful groups of people colliding. And I love it. You have the, the UX and, and UI designers, very arty, very creative. Then you have the hardcore coders who barely lift off their headphones. and um, But they're all creating this beautiful tools that we are using now i mean this is a podcast and people can use it uh, to listen to in the future and learn from something we are talking about now or get inspired and so software and technology is part of our lives it's here to stay so when you just um said earlier about oh, i'm the i'm the hippie ceo well even the hippies need to get their <laughs> their substances from some website now right <laughs> yes so um it's anyone it's like when you think back a couple of years where people said no i want to keep my typewriter those computers puh, they're not going to be here to stay well it's Times are moving and we have to make sure that these uh, in the technology world that the companies are aware of their people and their strengths. And so when you one of the hardest projects I was working on was for a university. So our job, we had a very small team. Our job was to completely recreate the website and the content management system behind the website of the university. 
And it was a massive task because it was one of the like top 4% unis in the world. So they had this reputation. They didn't want to lose it. And their main money came from overseas students. So students from uh, mainly Taiwan and China and India coming to New Zealand and studying there, paying a lot of money for it. So having a team of people, coders, creatives, designers, and um, you know content writers, bringing all of that in one box with the university like people who have worked there for 30 years financial advisors you know cto cfo from the uni trying to get them to understand what a 20 year old boy in taiwan plus their mother want to see on our website you know what they need to read or to see to make that decision to drop thousands of dollars onto their education and so again it's all coming back to that humanness that emotional understanding of what drives people what motivates them what soothes them what gives them trust that is the biggest thing in the future and i think um i'm not going to say more women should be CEOs just because I'm now talking to a female CEO. I think that males and females have these qualities. We shouldn't just hire somebody because they have this or that between their legs. I find it very scary to see this whole gender push happening. I have to say, as a woman, I find it scary to say we have to hire more women just because they're women. We have to make sure that everyone is equipped with a deep knowledge, know thyself, understand what your brain and your heart can do, how they interact with others electromagnetically, and how we can co-create stuff in any industry, whether it's technology or whether it's um, wellness, for example. So that's that's my biggest, you know, hey people, you know, yeah. everyone has to get that <laughs> together and, you know, look inside, make yeah. that make that inside journey and that inward journey. Yeah, as you as you said in the beginning, you know, it's like mind and heart together. Always. Um, I think that's, you know, kind of the real thing that we've been when talking about here, you know, is that very often we leave the heart at the door, not just in the workspace, but maybe in the workspace, it's kind of the most acute place that we see it. And how do we actually bridge that gap to bring wholehearted people into the workspace, whether they're men or women? But of course, like if you are in a leadership position, um, it's even more important because the impact that you have on people is felt more than if you're, you know, at like not in a leadership position, right? And I think that's where like, we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> but also people need to want to, right? Like, uh, and it's funny because this podcast has been a lot about my software company, <laughs> um, uh, even though this is the Go Within podcast, it's telling, but this is the human reality, right? That like, again, for me, it's like, uh, these two aspects of my life are not separate. And the person who I am as the founder of Sanya and the person who I am as the CEO of the software company are the same person, I have the same values. And we are so often made to feel like that's not okay. And I'll be honest, like when I <clears throat> first like considered taking this role, I was like, how is this gonna fit, you know, like publicly, you know, Mota is a very small place, people see you, they're like, okay, now first you're in wellness and then you're in software, like how do these two identities how am I going to present these two identities to the world? Mm. Um, and my conclusion was like, I should present them as they are authentic to me, <laughs> right? Which is like, I generally have these two loves um, and I'm very passionate about wellness in the workplace and wellness in the corporate environment. And I just need to like 
be heart centered and wholehearted about the way that I show up. Um, but we're not very good. Like I just happened to be lucky that I came across the tools and the teachers that helped me spend the last 12 years working on myself enough to be able to do that. Because again, like even if this was three years ago, I don't, I don't know if I would have had the strength to be able to hold my own and be authentic, even walking into a space where I feel like that authenticity would not be well received, yeah. right? which most of the time is a complete illusion, but like that's how we feel and that's why we kind of change who we are. Yeah. Um, I kind of forgot what was the thing that inspired this rant about <laughs> wholeheartedness, but um, yeah, just like, I think it comes down to like, how can we support each other in the workspace yeah. to merge the life person and the business person and be able to show up not only in an authentic way but in a way that we're actually learning and growing and becoming better human beings yeah and also i think that because you have been privileged now to see those two industry fields and lead people in both you have learned now what is common between the two what works no matter if i work uh, walk into sanya or into the software company you know exactly that these kind of um, behavior traits or tools or techniques that you're using will be serving you and your people because they're all just people there's no corporates in this way there's a bunch of people who produce a product or a service that's what business is all about in a nutshell and Yeah, we can overcomplicate it with like, I have an issue when we're just talking about rent. Let me rant just quickly about these um, people who like, oh, in this year I read 50 leadership books. I'm like, yeah, but which one did you apply? It's like, it's nice. We have we have too much information for certain things. So yes, maybe teal and holacracy and these kind of things work. But the, the most important thing is, have you applied it? Have you worked through it with your team? And do they like it? And if they don't like it, it could be like the Financial Business Times, Harvard, whatever, best voted so-and-so concept of the year, of the decade. But if it doesn't work for your people on the ground, it does not work. And it's um, you can even break it down to the smallest unit of you and your partner, or you and your family. If you have an agreement that we as a relationship couple or as a family, we are doing things in this way because we all love it, please keep doing it as long as you're not harming or hurting anyone. And uh, I think the same goes for the companies. If you know, as Yasmin, I can run my work here this way, showing up in this authentic face, keep doing it because you, you just, I mean, if you fake it, you can't keep it up forever. It no, it's yeah, it's so draining to have to be some yeah. someone that you're not, whether that's in a relationship or, or in a workspace. And yeah speaking to what you said there of like what is the common between the two and you said like it's the human beings and and it's it's so true like it's it's the human beings that are the same wherever you go and i think we all want the same thing mm. which is like we all want to be seen we all want our work to matter yeah. we all want to feel passionate or that that our work has meaning we all want to be treated with respect and have our opinion be valued and for me like creating that, having the background in personal development and personal growth and having kind of gone through my own journey that showed me the places that I was holding back and resisting and the things that I was scared of have made it easier now at this stage to be able to say, okay, like I want to open up to that and that's what I want to create. And maybe it's not for everyone, but this is the culture that I want to create. And I'm quite sure that, you know, 95% of people are going to be happier. And if they're not, like I will support them through that because if it's bringing up 
if like, you know, transparency and trust and connection is bringing up anything for you, that's totally okay. But that doesn't mean we need to not have trust, (laughs) right? It just means like, okay, how can we support to deal with the resistances and the fears and the pains? And I think this is why every leader needs to do their own inner work, because unless you've dealt with your own resistances, with your own fears, with your own pains, when you're faced with another human beings, all the leadership books in the world, as you said, are not going to equip you to be able to support that person. Mm -hmm. But you could have had, you could have read no leadership books, studied nothing in psychology, but been through your own dark night of the soul after dark night of the soul, and you will be equipped. yeah, I think this is why coming um, back to the you know the responsibilities that a leader has, it's not only the trust building and creating and being aware of their own stuff, but also taking this knowledge into the people you are going to hire. So um, one of my uh, pasts, uh, I was working in recruitment and I've seen so many CVs and spoke to so many applicants and hired people and it was so funny that you sometimes get that perfect CV and then this person turns out to be a complete nut job and you cannot put them into any company and um, this has often nothing to do with the companies they have worked with before or the fancy schools or the nice degrees that they are showing and so it's even more crucial as we move into the future of again working often more remote more decentralized hiring somebody from the other side of the world that we become so aware of these qualities in a person that we are able to not scan the cv based on how many years or how many degrees but also to figure out somehow can we see from the cv or from the interviews or from some tests beforehand will this person become a contributing part to our our team will our people that i already made so much effort and spent time and money into creating that trust and creating a culture that is that is beautiful can i bring that new person in there and it will work because you can have one bad person and it messes up so much in a company, costs them so much money. And I've coached many leaders through this very heartbreaking time of, you know, they've they've invested so much in their little family, <laughs> quote family, and then they bring this, this naughty cousin in there and just had so much trouble for months to come. And it's it's really important that we find a way moving forward in in which we can clearly identify who can fit how will they contribute to the company? And I'm not saying hire only people who are like the people you already have. That's a whole nother uh, crazy can of worms, which we should avoid. But somehow can we make it so that it will fit, that we can find complementary human beings? Yeah. Just like this word came to my mind of like harmony, you know, just like Mm. creating more harmony. (laughs) Harmony in the workspace sounds good. I mean, when you think about how much stress the workplace is, cause us as as individuals I think that striving for harmony as you said you know within the team with the people that you hire it's such a a beautiful endeavor so true yeah back to the music right it's are you in sync with your people are you singing from the same song sheet because if you throw in that one weird chord the whole symphony (laughs) just kind of skewed yeah Yeah, Yeah, it's so so true. true awesome so we've been actually like about an hour and a half I don't know if there's any like you didn't have questions prepared though we, we were just rambling on so I have no feeling for time right now I'm in, I'm in flow yeah about half, <laughs> an hour and a half I try not to have questions you know because I think 
I just like to be present in the conversation and just mm. we, we kept saying like going back to that because we were yeah. both really getting you know points that that are really interesting to talk about I think yeah. if I had had especially not knowing you you know at all before we met <laughs> I think you know my questions would have just been like you know, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe not that interesting. <laughs> like about this point on your website. Uh, uh, it yeah. probably would have just not fit with the flow of the conversation. I think that's that's the beauty, right, of like the spontaneity of the the human interaction. The first date. <laughs> yeah, the thing that you don't get on Slack as well, right? <laughs> the thing you have to be face yes. to face to to receive. True. Yeah. Beautiful. So. I think we can land land the plane. Um, I usually like to end the podcast with just asking, like, if if there was someone listening to this podcast who was like, "Wow, this has really fired me up to go on a inner journey or got more motivation for the inner journey," like, what's maybe one resource or like a book or a talk or something that they could watch that would kind of give them a helping hand along the way? Hmm. All right, in level of intensity. <laughs> I, I have a book, a movie, and a substance. Um, if somebody likes to read, one of the two books I really uh, recommend all the time. If somebody likes short, easy story, like uh, I always refer to The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. It's one of my favorite all-time books. If they like a bit more deeper stuff, I always recommend The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer. Is I it love Singer? that book. You know I'm it? always ah, recommending that it's book. So it's, it is so good. Not everyone gets it, but uh, I just... <laughs> Have I you read his other book? New, uh, which one? Surrender Experiment. Yes, yes, yes. So good. That describes how he actually got there, which is... <laughs> I think it's good to read first The Untethered Soul and then how he got there. It makes more sense. Um, so these were the books. If somebody likes reading, that would probably be the two I always give um, to people. Movie, there is one called Finding Joe. I'm not sure if you've heard it. But I have. I'm watched a it. big Joseph Campbell geek. Okay, so over you, here. Get the, you get it. Uh, it's actually, I think it's available on YouTube for free. So there's no excuse is not to watch it and uh, substance uh, psilocybin go nuts <laughs> or if not you know 10 more days just go pass on a retreat <laughs> so this would be like from easy listening or easy reading to um, complete mind effery um, yeah these would be my my takeaways I get I guess I have to say also like for um, I'm always a bit hesitant to recommend plant medicines to people honestly because they do come with a caveat like they're, they're super powerful personally my my journey was they were pivotal in my own journey um but they're not for everyone right and psychologically not everyone will match with that and sometimes it cannot end well um but the breath work like very intensive breath work is actually the closest thing you can get to a psychedelic experience um in a way that there are still risks and some people can still um there are contraindications <laughs> um, to all of that but um yeah disclaimer i mean i must say and it's not a competition or anything but i reached deeper stages in meditation but again i have now years of experience meditating every day sometimes very deeply so um, deeper experiences on meditation than ever on any large amount of substances and I've tried first the meditation and then later on I was like okay show me what all that stuff is about so now I had something to compare and again I, I'm glad you mentioned that it is really all about set and setting and the right guide and the right integration afterwards if there are experiences coming up especially using substances that that are just fast-tracking the way to to yeah. open mind in fact I always um, explain it like this like 
like it's like a mountain you know you can either yeah. take kind of the way around which is slower but safer or you can just like look up and say i'm gonna go straight and most likely you're gonna you might fall on your ass basically just disclaimer there um just saying because you know i do come across people who have had different experiences and, and not all of them have been positive me personally it was very positive but um, I always like to just, you know, have a disclaimer for that as well. Um, breathing, on the other hand, is a lot safer. So I do breath work, uh, very intensive kind of holotropic style breath work sessions here every couple of months. So just going to awesome. plug that real quick. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you for your awesome book recommendations. It's been such a pleasure getting to know you on this podcast. <laughs> I feel like we could talk for a lot of hours and I'm actually really curious to explore if there are any, way, any ways we can collaborate because yeah. as I said, like I'm still, I'm like experimenting, right? Like I'm taking all I've learned in my self-development world and my experience with Sunny, I'm applying it into this software company. Yeah. Um, but I'm always like really keen to hear what other people are doing and different kinds of techniques that kind of bring these values into the corporate space. So it's beautiful to meet other people kind of mm. thinking the same way because especially in that's still quite new. Yeah, so. Yes. I mean, Malta is a perfect place for it because it attracts a lot of international people who bring their experiences with them. And then we have this beautiful old, old country that has so much richness and cultural and, and history heritage that um, this is a perfect melting pot to make that step from spirituality to corporate, not so corporate. Yeah, yeah. definitely. We have a huge potential here, actually. And it's, it's great to have um, people coming in with different ideas. That's that's the beauty of having actually a large foreign contingent on the island that they come with different experiences, different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And it's such a blessing. Just hope we get the lessons out of it and actually apply them, as you said. Yeah. Um, but this is the first step, right? Like actually normalizing that it's totally okay to bring these values into the workspace yeah. and be a life person and a business person. I'm not going to forget that one. I'm going to use it. <laughs> I'm going to steal it. I will credit you. <laughs> so thank you, Jen. Thank you to all our listeners. I humbly request that you share this episode with anyone who you think it will help a little bit along the path. This is why we're here, just to support people along the inner journey. Um, because I, for one, definitely believe that it's the best investment that we can make in our lives is the one in ourselves. Longest relationship we're going to have. So... Let's make it um, as empowering as, as we can. So thank you, Jen. Thank you, listeners. And see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> But I'm not